I want you to open your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, we're going to look at verses 26, or eventually, I'm sorry, verse 12 through 26. I'm not going to read that entire passage all at once. I'm going to actually stop at 21, but we'll read and then uh, come back and finish it a little bit later on. You ready? Let's go. John 14, starting at verse 12. Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in the Father. You are in me, and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. Let's pray as we look at the Lord's word. Father, thank you for sending your son. Sending your son to be the way, the truth, and the life. To be our way back to you. To bring us back into a right and proper relationship with you through his death on the cross, through his resurrection from the grave, and through his ascending into heaven and the consequent sending of the Holy Spirit to live in us. I pray that these words would be life to us today, that these words would draw us nearer to you and make us more like you. Help us to have ears to hear and help us to have hands and feet that are eager to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know the setting by now. We've been, we've been in this part of John's Gospel for, for a few weeks now, Jesus is preparing to leave his disciples. He's said some things that have shocked them, some things that have caused them to be puzzled, perhaps perhaps even frustrated. And you see, uh, starting at the end of 13 and up through where we're going to look at today, uh, through 26 and 14, these kind of rapid-fire questions that disciples are throwing at Jesus, one after another, the disciples are jumping in and saying, well, Jesus, what about this? Or we don't understand this. Explain this to us. He's, he's created a bit of a panic among the disciples because he's told them that he's leaving them. But there's some things that are going to happen as a result of his leaving. Not things, not, not, not things that are, are, are going to happen either way, not things that are just going to um, be a coincidence because he left, but things that he is intentionally doing through his leaving the disciples. So you see on your handout, it says, Jesus was leaving, but these three things have been with us ever since. Let's look at these three things one at a time. The first one is this. Jesus was leaving, but he left us a ministry to do. A ministry to do. I... I, I I wrestled with, with exactly how to say that. I wanted to say a mission to accomplish or a ministry to, to accomplish or something. But, you know, for 2,000 years, it has yet to be accomplished. I don't want to 
give you the impression of a finality anytime soon. It's something that we must continually and actively pursue. He has left us a ministry. He's left us with a job, with something to be involved in, a ministry to do. Verse 12 says, Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, this, this little passage is loaded, right? There's, there's things in here that probably sort of dominate your attention when you look at it. Greater works, whatever you ask, I will do. Those are the things that sort of, what does Jesus mean by this? Well, some things in this passage are clear and some of them maybe aren't as clear as we'd like them to be, but that's okay. We have scripture to interpret scripture. Whenever you come to a passage that says things that you're like, I'm not sure how to take that. I'm not sure exactly what that means. Is it does, uh, does this mean that we'll do things that are even more miraculous than Jesus? Will we do things that are mo more miraculous than raising someone from the dead? I mean, just days earlier, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. How are we going to do even greater works than that? Jesus healed people. What gets, better, what gets better than that? Well, there, is, there are some things that are better than healing there are some things that are better than raising people from the dead. We'll talk about it. Let me point out a couple of things about this ministry that Jesus has left us to do. Verse 12 tells us it'll be done by the one who believes in me. The prerequisite for engaging in the ministry that Jesus has left behind for us to do is that we believe in him. We must have faith in him. We must trust in him. This is the crux of John's gospel, isn't it? Everything he says, he points back to believe in Jesus. Believe in the Son of God. Believe in him and have eternal life. So it shouldn't come as a surprise that the ministry that Jesus is leaving. There are some people who are disqualified from participating in this ministry. They're the ones who won't believe. They're the ones who have not placed their faith in Jesus. They will not, they cannot be a part of this ministry. They'll be the ones that we'll see when we look uh, a little bit later. The world is unable to receive him when Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit. There are, in a sense then, after Jesus' ascension, two types of people. The believing, faithful followers of Christ who now have this ministry to do, and then the world which is unable to receive him and which is unable to participate in this ministry. Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. So Jesus has been doing these works. He's been doing, he's been doing over two, two and a half, maybe three years of earthly ministry where he's gone around, he's done miraculous things, he's taught He's, he's poured into his disciples, and now he tells them that he's leaving. Does that mean the ministry is coming to an end? No. The one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. 
So that's the first thing. The ministry will be done by the one who believes in him. But the second half of verse 12 tells us the ministry will be greater than the ministry of Jesus. It will be greater than the ministry of Jesus. I already started to allude to this and dig into this a little bit. But let's look at it. The second half of verse 12. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. So a couple of things. Are the greater works more miraculous signs? There are some who have interpreted it to mean so. There, there are some who, who, who have said that this means that our churches will be full of the miraculous. That we'll see people get healed and we'll see supernatural things happen on a regular basis in our midst. Is that greater works than what Jesus did? That sounds actually to be on par with what Jesus did. The key is in what Jesus says in the second half of that sentence, because I am going to the Father. Jesus' going to the Father is the thing that makes the works that those who believe in him are now going to do greater works. His ascending to the Father is what makes the works greater In other words, the greater works are the works that are going to be done as a result of the accomplished and finished ministry of Jesus Christ in going to the cross, being buried on the third day, raising from the dead, and 40 days later ascending into heaven. The reason the works that the disciples are doing, are going to do is is greater is because the work of Jesus has been finished. Up until now, the work that Jesus has been doing, although miraculous in nature, has simply been pointing people forward to something that he was about to do. At this moment in history, when Jesus says this, nobody has been saved by his death, burial, and resurrection, and given eternal life, and reconciled back to the Father. So the greater works is the work of building the church that the disciples are going to do after Jesus has completed the way of salvation. So, in a sense, the greater works are bringing people into a saving relationship with Jesus. That's the greatest miracle of all. There are people that Jesus healed of terminal physical illness who a few short years later died. But the greater works that the disciples are going to do is that they're going to preach the gospel and they're going to bring people into eternal life so that they will live forever. That's greater works. The ministry will be done by the one who believes. The ministry will be greater than the ministry of Jesus' earthly ministry up until the cross, of course. And then the third thing about this ministry is that it will ultimately be accomplished by Jesus himself. Two times in verses 13 and 14, Jesus says this. He says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So Jesus isn't checking out of the ministry He's not not going away on vacation. 
He's going to continue doing the work of the ministry. And so here's the beauty of participating in this ministry. Here's the beauty of being one of those who believes that will do the works that Jesus does and that will do even greater works is that we actually get to be a part of God working through us to accomplish his will, to do his works. We get to be participants in the eternal ministry of the Holy Trinity, of God the Father, of Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit accomplishing their plan to redeem humankind, we get to be a part of that, and we get to experience him working through us. That's the ministry that Jesus calls us to. It's reserved for those who will believe in him. It's greater than the ministry of Jesus up until this point in its eternal nature of bringing people into salvation, of bringing people into eternal life. And it's ultimately us working, working alongside of Jesus so that he accomplishes his work through us. I hope that gets you excited. That's what he's called you to. It's what, it, the, the, one of the reasons that Jesus left was so that this ministry could take place, so that you and I could enter into the ministry with him. A couple of familiar passages. Matthew 28, let's look at verses 18 through 20. It says, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see Jesus passing on the baton of ministry to the disciples. Then he says, before his ascension in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. We're getting ready to get to that in, in John's gospel. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus left to go to the Father, but in doing so, he gave us a ministry to do. That's the first thing that he that have, has, of the three things that have been with us since Jesus left. Number two, on your handout, he gives the Spirit to help. He not only gives us a ministry to do, but he gives us a Spirit to help us. Most of us are probably very comfortable with that language of the Holy Spirit, and we, we've been given a Spirit. But, but, you know, you have to look at that from the eyes of, of, of someone, and I'm not saying this was the disciples, but if you think of this through the lens of somebody who's never really heard that language or didn't grow up hearing about the Holy Spirit coming to live within us. That's kind of wild. He's given us a spirit? What is a spirit? And what, is, what does a spirit do when it comes to us? Well, he's going to give us some answers. Let's look at verse 15. We're back in John 14. He says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. Some translations say helper. Some say advocate. Some say comforter. Uh, this word can mean many things. CSB has chosen counselor. I will give you another counselor to be with you forever. 
He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Jesus gives a spirit to help. Although Jesus in the flesh is leaving, it's his leaving that will cause the spirit to come and to dwell within us. A couple of things here. Notice the collaboration of the Trinity. Jesus will go to the Father who will give the Spirit. So we have Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit all involved in what Jesus is saying will happen here. But there's, there's a correlation of things that happen. And starting in verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. A lot of people say they love Jesus. A lot of people say they love God. But Jesus Jesus says, if you love me, you keep my commands. Well, what are the commands? Well, he's, there's a number of, of things that should come to mind uh, in this specific context. There's the command to believe. There's a command to participate in the ministry. And there's a command to love him and to love one another. Remember, he's, he's, he said back in verse 13, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. These are some of the commands that that Jesus has in mind here. If you love me, you will keep my commands. So it starts with loving Jesus. Loving Jesus will lead us to keep the commands of Jesus. And loving Jesus and keeping the commands of Jesus will lead to the Father sending the Spirit. These things result in us receiving the Holy Spirit. Four things that that, that John tells us about the Spirit here. One, he'll be with us forever. Look at verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Jesus' presence, his physical presence in their lives is coming to an end. It has been temporary. It's been just a couple of short years that he has been with them. But his desire is not to leave them. And not to leave them alone without his presence. His presence is now coming to them in the form of the Holy Spirit. His presence is now coming with them to be with them forever. I don't want to steal too much from where we're going to go in a couple of chapters when John comes back to Jesus' words about the Holy Spirit coming. But the Holy Spirit... Replacing Jesus' physical presence is one of the greatest gifts that Jesus gives us. Had Jesus remained on the earth in physical form, our experience with him would be limited to that means. If Jesus was, you know, some people say, well, I wish Jesus was still here today. Well, one, he is here today. He's here via the Holy Spirit. But two, if he was here today, where would he be? Probably not at your house. (laughs) And if he's at your house, that means he's not at my house. Jesus in the flesh could only be in one place at one time. But by the Spirit, he's present with all believers all across the earth forever. Forever. The Spirit will not leave us. He will be with us forever. That's the first thing Jesus tells us about this Spirit that is coming. The second thing he tells us, tells us about the spirit that is coming is verse 17. He is the spirit of truth. He is the spirit of truth. 
the gospel hinges on what is true. And we as people need, we need a spirit of truth. We need a spirit that is only purely, completely true. There is no misleading in this spirit. There is no falsehood in this spirit. Just complete, pure truth. That's the spirit that he sends to us. Isn't it good to have a spirit of truth in a world full of lies, in a world full of deception, in a world full of, of, of people that want to mislead you and want to spin everything that happens to fit their own narrative? It's good that we have the spirit of truth with us. He leads us in truth. He, he assures us of the truth. He testifies to the truth. The Spirit will be with us forever. Jesus says he is the Spirit of truth. The third thing about this Spirit that is coming is that the world cannot receive him and does not see him or know him. That's the second half of verse 17. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. So think about that. The world, the world that does not believe Jesus does not get to participate in this ministry. The world does not get to be a part of the ministry that Jesus said would be greater than the ministry that he had uh, uh, during his earthly ministry. The world doesn't get to be a part of that. Furthermore, the world does not receive as unable to receive. The prerequisite for receiving the Holy Spirit is that you believe in Jesus, love him, and keep his commands. That's what is required to receive this spirit of truth that will be with us forever. The world cannot do that because the world does not do those things. And so not only do they not receive him, but they are unable to receive him. And they don't see him or know him. So when the spirit of truth is witnessing to the truth within us, it puts us in, a, it puts us in conflict with a world that does not recognize him, that cannot see him, that cannot receive him. Does that feel familiar? Do you feel in conflict with the world around you because of what you believe to be true? I do. Every day, we're in conflict with this world in part because we have the spirit of truth and they don't. The fourth and final thing that Jesus says about this spirit is that he will be in us. Now that's a mystery. That's a mystery that I, I don't know how to put words to. I don't know how to explain, but I do understand that we as human beings created in the image of God are at least two parts, some would argue more, but we're at least physical and spiritual. There's a physical part of us that is, well, I don't even want to say purely physical because I don't, know, I don't know if that's an accurate way to say it either, but there's a physical part of us that is perceived and experienced by all of the physical realities. We, you know, the five senses and everything, it's something that we can see, it's something that we can touch, it's something that sometimes we can smell, some people, you know, never mind. But there's, there's a physical reality to us. But there's also a spiritual reality to us. There's more than just the physical. 
And God has created us. He has put us together in such a way that his spirit actually is able to come into us and dwell within us in a way that gives us eternal life. How, how, how do I explain that further? I don't know. I, I, I really can't other than I believe it and I've experienced it. I do believe that the Holy Spirit was, is within me, that he actually comes and he lives in us, not just beside us or around us or among us, but actually comes and dwells in us, that we become filled with the Holy Spirit, and that that brings about transformation to become more like Christ, brings about activity and in in, in giftedness for the ministry that he's called us to do. It brings about conviction of sin. It brings about this revelation of truth. That's why when you read the word of God, it, it, it comes alive at times. That's the spirit working within you. It's the spirit, it's the spirit connecting you to the word of God, which is revealed in Jesus Christ. He comes and he will be in us. He'll be with us forever. He has the spirit of truth. The world cannot receive him, nor does it see him or know him, and he will be in us. Doesn't that sound like something you want to have? Wouldn't that be a good thing to have if God himself would come and dwell within you? Well, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. So we've looked at two things. Jesus was leaving, but these three things have been with us ever since. One, a ministry to do. Two, the spirit to help. Number three, the third thing that has been with us for ever since is his love to give life and to reveal himself. His love, to, his love is with us to give us life and to reveal himself. We'll pick up back in John 14. I'll give you a moment. Make sure you've had a chance to write that down. His love to give us life and to reveal himself. If we look at John 14, verse 18, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will also love him and will reveal myself to him. He, he, he has left us a ministry to do. He's left us the spirit to help. But don't forget that he's left us his love. He goes on loving his disciples. And those of us who did not walk with him during his earthly ministry, he loves us the same. He gives his love, which, which brings life, and it reveals him to us. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. Do you see the why that would be confusing? I'm leaving you and I'm coming to you. I'm going away, but I'm coming nearer. 
I will not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. He says, in a little while, the world will no longer see me. So in the physical sense, he's going to be gone, but you will see me. Perhaps this is a reference to those 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension where he appeared to his disciples. But even more so, I think he's referring to, if we think back to what he said in verse 17, the world cannot see the spirit. Perhaps in the same way, um, he's saying the world won't see me, not because he's, he's not physically present anymore, but because they reject the truth. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. And even more than that, because I live, you will live too. Because I live, you will live too. Jesus is about to die. He's going to surrender his body to death. The same physical death, not in the same manner of death, but the same physical death that you and I must experience. It's one of the hardest realities, maybe the hardest reality of life. That one day everything we know and everything that we love and everything that, that, that we've built our lives upon here on this earth will be separated from us through death. Jesus knows how that feels. He had a good thing going. He had some good friends, some faithful followers. And now death is going to bring an end to all of that. But the good news of the gospel and the good news of, of Jesus and what he came to do is that he is going to once and for all defeat death. He is going to remove the sting of death from our experience. He is, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean death is, is unpleasant. That doesn't mean death doesn't cre- create grief and sorrow. It means that death is no longer permanent. That death is no longer the final say in our human existence. He says, because I live, you will live too. Jesus is going to die, but on the third day, he's going to rise from the dead, conquering death, bringing bringing death under, under subjugation to his authority. grants us that same power over death. He gives us eternal life. Because I live, you will live too. He says, on that day you will know that I am in the Father. You are in me and I am in you. Just here Jesus is, is, he's not leaving them, he's coming to them. They're going to go from having a relationship with him that is based on physical realities, Jesus the man, to a relationship that is much more intimate, that is much more eternal, that is much more satisfying in nature, and that he is actually going to come and dwell in them. 
He's going to be in them via the Holy Spirit. You will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me. This is the language that Jesus has been using to refer to his relationship with the Father. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And, and now, as he speaks about this, this relationship he has with the Father, who's included in this now? We are. You, you will know that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus just kept, before this, he just kept saying, I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. And this time he says, I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. He has brought us into relationship with the Father. He has reconciled us back to. He's not leaving, he's coming to us. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Do you notice that keeps coming up? If you love me, you'll keep my commands. The one who keeps my commands is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will keep my commands. And the one who loves me, verse 21, will be loved by my father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. So what happens as a result of Jesus going away. He gives us a ministry to do, a spirit to help us, a spirit that helps us in that ministry, a spirit that helps us in our relationship with him, a spirit that reveals him to us, a spirit that is with us forever. And in doing all of that, he he gives his love, which gives life and which reveals himself. So the end result of that is that we can stand here 2,000 years later, and I can stand here and confidently say, I know Jesus. And you can say, I know Jesus. I don't, I don't know other historical figures. I can read about them. I can, I can, I can you know, visit museums and learn about them, and, and people can, actors can portray them and try to help me experience what, you know, what it would be like to be around them. I don't know them. But man, I know Jesus. By the grace of God, he died for my sins. He sent his Holy Spirit to come to live within me, to reveal himself to me, to make him known, to come in and and be a part of me, giving me life and revealing himself to me. Because he went away. He had to leave in order for that to be accomplished. And so the final word on all of this that I want to give you, you'll see this on your handout. The final word that I want to leave you with from this passage are these words from Jesus. If you love me. If you love me. So Jesus says all of this, and I told you we would actually read through verse 26 in John 14, and we haven't gotten that far yet, but I want to get there now. Jesus says all of this, and then one of the disciples speaks up. That's the pattern. That's what's been happening. Jesus reveals something to them, and one of the disciples jumps in and says, Jesus, but we don't understand. We don't know what you're talking about. And that happens again here, verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot. There were two Judases with Jesus. One of them has already left to betray him. That was Judas Iscariot. Said to him, Lord, 
how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? What's that going to look like? How is it that we'll see you and we'll know you, but the world doesn't? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Well, that's a funny way to answer that question. He goes on to say, my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but is from the father who sent me. I've spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. How is it that we're going to, how, how are we going to know you and see you? And, and how will you be revealed to us, but not to the world? Jesus says, love me and keep my, keep my commands. Love me and keep my word. And I and the Father and the Spirit will come. They're going to come make their home with us. One of, one of the ways that we're called to respond to Jesus is to believe in him, to put our trust in him. There's, there's several things that we're called to, to do in response to hearing the message of the gospel in the New Testament. One of them is to repent of our sins and to turn to him. But the one that probably gets the most flack today is this idea of asking Jesus into our hearts. There's a lot of people that are bothered by that, by that language, and, and, and there can be some misuses of that. But let's not, let's not miss the clear teaching of Jesus, is that in, in a way that perhaps is even beyond our comprehension, what he desires is not just that we believe but that he would come and live within us. That he would come and make his home within us. That he would come and that this would be his dwelling place. The picture of heaven in the book of Revelation is this perfect communion between God and man. That's what he desires. Relationship, intimacy, communion, that's what he is seeking. That those who love him will keep his command and that he will come and make his home in them. If you love me, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, do this ministry. If you love me, I will send the spirit. If you love me, I will give you my love to give you life, and to reveal myself to you. If you love me, I will come and make my home in you.